Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. And on this edition of our podcast, I will be joined by Colin Gillespie from Villanova. He is one of our top 10 Player of the Year candidates and a candidate for Big East Player of the Year with Marcus Zagorowski from Creighton. John Fanta from the Big East Shootaround on the Big East Digital Network also does play-by-play for Fox Sports, FS1, FS2, for men's and women's college basketball. He will join me to break down the Big East. He covers the Big East exceptionally well. Chad Acock from Turner Sports will join me to discuss best of the rest because we are starting our breakdown of conferences. The Big East, and that's why we've got John Fanta on, is up first. We will break down that conference. So the best of the rest, which of course leads with Gonzaga, because we're going to do a Power Six, which is ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, SEC, Pac-12, and Big East. You can put them in any order, although Big Ten will be one this season for sure. But those right now in college basketball are what I would determine the power six. And college football, people would certainly include the American maybe as part of the sixth. Maybe sometimes it's the Mountain West. Uh, Maybe earlier this season, you could have said the Sun Belt. But college basketball, to me right now, the Big East is part of the power conferences. There have been times when the American could certainly make that claim, not this season. Same with the Mountain West, WCC, and the Atlantic 10. And as part of our Cats ranks this week, I will do the top 15 candidates. Usually it's 10, but this time it'll be 15 for the Bob Cousy Award, which is for the best playmaker. This wasn't easy. A lot of great candidates for this award. So I got 15 for you for the Cousy Award. We're going to do this every week. All the awards of the uh, positions as we lead up. Uh, scheduling, what we're seeing right now is we're starting to see things take shape. Great news to see uh, on Monday of this week. They announced the Empire Classic of Baylor, Villanova, Arizona State, and BC. That'll be played at the Mohegan Sun. We're going to hear announcements coming from ESPN events for the events down in Orlando. Obviously, it's going to start out with the Champions Classic with Michigan State and Duke and Kansas and Kentucky. But then you're going to see a lot of movement of what was originally part of these tournaments. Teams are moving in and out. And part of that is because of testing. The Big Ten is going to have different testing protocols, and they don't want to lose games by going to a neutral site. So what you're going to see a lot of Big Ten schools, I'm going to say almost the majority outside of maybe Northwestern, which is playing in a tournament in Kansas City, I'm going to see say the majority of the Big Ten teams will end up hosting their own MTEs, which is a multiple team event. I'm convinced that will happen because if there is a cancellation, then those events can just be made up. If it's Michigan State versus Western Michigan and there's a cancellation due to a positive test or contact tracing issue, they can say, hey, come next week. We'll figure it out. Whereas if you're 
in somewhere else, it can be an issue. Ohio State and Indiana. Indiana is still scheduled to be in the Maui Invitational in Asheville, North Carolina. And then Ohio State, no longer the Battle for Atlantis, but the teams moved to South Dakota. Ohio State still planning on playing in that event. Dayton was the team that replaced Duke. So all that's still happening. We'll know more of that over the coming weeks as schedules are finalized and the like. But what we're seeing right off the bat is contact tracing is going to be the, the issue here because Purdue, for example, couldn't start practice on the 14th, had to push it to the 21st because of a contact tracing issue, not because of a positive test issue. Now, on our NCA social series last week, we had Dr. Katie O'Neill from LSU, Dr. Cam Wolf from Duke, and Dr. Brian Hainline, who's on there regularly with me, who's the NCAA chief medical officer. And they claim, they, they seem to think that we're going to see a change in the 14 days. Maybe it gets reduced to seven or eight. Maybe it's a max of 10. For a population of athletes that are testing regularly, if not every day, every other day. So we're more than likely going to see some sort of change because of that with contact tracing. When that happens, I don't know. But obviously, it didn't happen early enough for Purdue. So Purdue has to push their practice off a week. So all of that will be interesting to track over the next couple of weeks. Let's get to our Big East breakdown. Before that, I will just say that my picks for Big East first team, if you will, will be Colin Gillespie, Marcus Zagorowski for sure. I think Sandro Mamokalashvili from Seton Hall will be on there for sure. So you got a big man, James Booknight from UConn, another guard. And then you could go either way at Providence, but I'll go David Duke over A.J. Reeves. So guard heavy for the all Big East first team, but that's the way I see it. Leading into this Big East discussion, to me, it's Villanova, then Creighton, then Providence would be my third team, then UConn, then Seton Hall. We're going to discuss with John Fanta this. So I would go those top five in. Then you're looking at the next group of teams where I like St. John's a lot. I think Fanta's going to like Xavier a lot. And then Marquette. And then the question, of course, is Georgetown and DePaul. Excuse me, and Butler would be in that, that third group as well. So to me, the five locks, yes, we can say locks. Villanova, Creighton, Providence, UConn, and Seton Hall. That's what I see. And up next year on March Madness 365, John Fanta from the Big East Digital Network. And joining me now here on March Madness and March Madness 365, John Fanta, who is the host of Big East Shootaround on the Big East Digital Network, as well as a Fox College Sports play-by-play announcer for both the men and the women. John, we are starting on the podcast, breaking down the major conferences. We're going to start with the Big East. As you know, I have Villanova as one of the top five teams in the country, number three. And then without Tyshawn Alexander, I slid Creighton down into my sort of uh, top 16 range and that four seed range for me. Uh, And then after that, you know, I think I could see Providence finishing third with what they have coming back. But that's my top three um, of where I see the lay of the land. And UConn's going to be right there as well. Um, But let's break it down. One through 11. Where do you see the top starting? Well, I think that you're exactly right on where Villanova is the clear number one. Creighton is the clear number two. And then I think there's a tier from three to five in this conference. And I think in that tier, you have Providence, UConn, and Seton Hall. The key question with UConn is, 
you're entering, re-entering the Big East Conference. You're coming from the American. It appears that the timing is right, but will that actually translate to on-court success? You're getting reacquainted with these conference foes. That 20-game double round-robin schedule we both know can be a monster. But here's the thing about the Huskies. They're the only team in the Big East that can say this. They return over 70% of their scoring, and they bring in a top 25 recruiting class nationally with Andre Jackson, a star prospect wing, and then a late ad in Adama Sonogo. And if Sonogo produces what they think he can and a cook, a cook who injured his Achilles comes back in December, like they have planned, that front court could be very dangerous. I think with Seton Hall, you lose Miles Powell, Andy, and I think that that just creates a whole lot of questions. Well, the complimentary cast that was very strong last year now with more of a spotlight on them, will they be able to deliver the same? Sandro Mamukelashvili's return means that Seton Hall fits into that top five. I still think pretty firmly. And with Providence, well, hold on, hold on, Bryce Aiken, don't forget him. That's a big the transfer too. from Harvard. Yeah, and that and that is a crucial ad for them. I think that's as big of a of a transfer pickup. But the thing with Aiken is, can he stay healthy? Because he only played in seven games last year. Injuries have been an issue before, but if he does maintain health. They answered that question of how are they going to fill the gap of Powell's scoring to a degree. Not one person's going to do it. Make no mistake. Aiken is not the only player doing it. But they have a rising junior in Jared Roden, who Kevin Willard believes can be an all-Big East selection this upcoming year. Miles Kale's a senior. He won't have to hunt for his shots as much because he's a senior and he's going to get the time to produce. They have a couple of versatile pieces in Tyree Samuel, who's going to be a sophomore, who's a he's a six foot nine type forward who can stretch the floor but break you down as well. They have a seven footer in Iko Biagu, who kind of got overshadowed by Romaro Gill last year, the Big East defensive and most improved player. Now for Obiagu, the stage is his. So Seton Hall has a good core of players. If Aiken stays healthy and that core can take the next step, that's what fits them into the top five. And I believe in you with what you say with Providence. Ed Cooley said it, David Duke and A.J. Reeves, the time is now for them to turn that corner and put together a full season. And I think with Jared Bynum coming in, the St. Joe's transfer, he's kind of a sneaky transfer nationally because they go from Luan Pipkins to Jared Bynum, and they really like the transition here at point guard. Beyond those five. And Nate Watson, the hope is that Nate Watson would be healthy um, and and obviously give him that anger inside. So, look, I'm going to stop here because I love the tiers. So you just broke down tier two of three, four, five, but let's go back to tier one. What do you love about Villanova and Creighton? Well, I just think it's something with Villanova. They don't bring in a freshman this year. And in an unprecedented offseason in which coaches are trying to get their freshmen accustomed to their systems and coaches are trying to play catch up right now, Jay Wright doesn't have to play catch up. His team is ready to go. He knows what he has. He welcomes back everybody except Sadiq Bey, who looks like an NBA draft lottery pick, potentially. But for the Wildcats, they have players who are ready to fill those shoes. It's not just Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels. This is a rising sophomore class that I think could be as good as any in America. Because you have Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who is a really good rebounder. 
you know, was I think the second leading rebounder in the Big East last year was averaging around a double double as a freshman. And then I think that this is my breakout player in the Big East. Absolutely the breakout player, clear runaway favorite. That's Justin Moore. You're talking about a, a six foot four, six foot five wing who can take over what Bay did in a lot of respects on the wing for Villanova. They hope that what Bay did from freshman to sophomore year, they can see that type of rise, maybe not the exact same thing, from a Justin Moore. When you have Gillespie at the point guard position, we know what Villanova does. They're point guard you, but Andy, think about Mikhail Bridges. Think about Josh Hart. They've also gotten accustomed to really growing and grooming wing players. Justin Moore is that next type of player on my list. Villanova has the total, total package. Creighton loses Tyshawn Alexander. Zagorowski is back and healthy, he told me. Um, Mitchell Ballack, obviously, another great shooter. But what do you see with the Blue Jays to put them in that first tier? Well, I see an All-American point guard in Marcus Zagorowski, who would be my pick for Big East preseason player of the year, because this is a kid that can score the ball and equally facilitate for others. And that's hard to do in this game, as you well know. Marcus Zagorowski is a transformative type of player. And for Creighton, Greg McDermott's offense is so oriented around those playmaking guards that when you have a player as good as Zagorowski and you recruit players who can shoot the three, as we know with Creighton, they average around eight and a half to 10 threes a game consistently year in and year out. It's a match made in heaven. The loss of Alexander is a concern defensively more than it is offensively. He was the most efficient player, according to Ken Palm, on the defensive end of the floor last season in the Big East Conference. So how do they replace that defensive stopper on their team? Now, they welcome back Damian Jefferson and Denzel Mahoney, two lengthy wings who are solid defenders, who I think are going to draw some more difficult assignments. And I believe that Zagorowski will take an increased role defensively. Mitch Ballock, Andy, is one of the more underrated players in this conference. Greg McDermott calls him an extension of him on the floor. He's incredibly smart, and he stretches the floor with his range. He's also a lefty. We can all appreciate a southpaw shooter. This is a team that, that for me, how well they perform gets determined by a couple of players. Antoine Jones, a Memphis transfer, comes in. What kind of an impact does he make? A sophomore garden, Sharif Mitchell, can he give them something steady beyond Zagorowski. We really don't know the answer to that right now. And then in the front court, they have Christian Bishop, efficient player, stretches the floor, can get it done inside. But there's kind of a wild card to this team. And it's a seven-footer from Australia. His name is Jacob Epperson. And he's been off the floor more than he's been on it. I'm not saying he's making a major impact, but if he can make some sort of an impact for Creighton, a team that stretches you out as much as they do, to have a seven-footer, if he can provide something in the paint for them, it could give them the extra dimension to get them from what you say, maybe a top 16 team, to flirting and getting a little bit uh, further up in those rankings as the season goes on. All right, so now we've got Tier 1, Villanova and Creighton. Tier 2, in some order, Providence, UConn, Seton Hall. So that's five teams, six more. Um, Maybe we don't have to go into as much detail But in that second group of six, uh, the one that jumps out to me that I actually had in the back end of my uh, first bracket 
you call me crazy here, but I have some belief in St. John's. They would top my next tier. Um, let me know how you would break down that final six in terms of a couple of tiers. Yeah, so tier three for me would be Marquette, Xavier, Butler, and St. John's. Wow, you got them at the bottom. I've got Butler and St. John's. And then in tier four, I have DePaul and Georgetown. I, I didn't do it in a particular order. All right, so give me the give me the highlights of tier three, those four. Yeah, so the highlights of tier three. For St. John's, I think there's being too much made about LJ Figueroa transferring to Oregon. LJ Figueroa is a really talented player, and he's, he could be a very talented weapon for Dana Altman in Oregon. But Mike Anderson is a system type of coach that's able to interchange players. St. John's was so close. They played six Big East games decided by two possessions or less last year, and they only won one of them, I believe. So they were in so many games. For them, they return a good core. They have a lead guard who can facilitate in Rasheem Dunn. They have some front court pieces in Josh Roberts, Marcellus Erlington, who's a really interesting player. They bring in a George Washington transfer and Arnaldo Toro. Mike Anderson wanted to get more physical down low. Toro is just that. He's that kind of player. Greg Williams is going to be a junior. He can defend for them and has range. The key for St. John's is this. They have a JUCO transfer. His name is Vince Cole. They're expecting him, six foot six player, to produce some of the results in the scoring column that Figueroa did produce and to potentially be that lead offensive guy. I think he's a really interesting player, and Mike Anderson believes that he can be that guy. If he pans out and if their incoming freshman guard who, was, who had ties with Mike Anderson and they, they're able to bring him in as a, as a solid recruit, Posh Alexander, apparently word out of Queens is, is that he is dominating practices, controlling them that he's competing well with Rasheem Dunn, who's St. John's lead guard option. That's really encouraging news for the Red Storm because they've been waiting for good guard play to return to Queens. I just think, Andy, I, I like your St. John's pick because Mike Anderson is a proven winner. He really got them to turn a corner. Their culture felt so different last year. They were in so many games, and they never stopped fighting in games. And I like the way that they've started and laid a foundation, him and that coaching staff. And athletic director Mike Craig, I just think that there's a connection now in Queens that could lead them to making a move up in the Big East. All right, so give me just a couple quick highlights for Xavier, Butler, and Marquette. So the key for Xavier is they bring back Paul Scruggs. Redshirt freshman Deontay Miles is going to provide a, a presence in the post, and Zach Fremantle is a sophomore. The key for Xavier is... Two players, a sophomore in Kiki Tandy, does he take the next step? And Juan Odom, four-star point guard. Xavier's problem has been turning the ball over. They've got to stop turning the ball over and get more efficient offensively. Marquette, DJ Carden, Ohio State transfer. Does he deliver the way that they think he can alongside Kobe McEwen? And then for the Golden Eagles, they're going to look very different this upcoming season. They bring yeah, in no Marcus Howard. They bring in the top-ranked recruiting class in the Big East. You, you lose Marcus Howard. You did so much around him. And now your three recruits that you bring in are six foot seven or taller. So Marquette is going to be more lengthy. They're probably going to be more front court oriented. And can they finally be the type of defensive team that the Duke Blue Devil great Steve Wojciechowski was when he was on the hardwood? He'd like to get them there. And then Butler, gone is Kamar Baldwin. 
You know, nobody was more clutch than that kid in the sport last year. He just came up big so many times for the Bulldogs. So my concern is who has the ball in their hands late in games? In fact, if I were to break down tier three, Butler would be at the bottom of it because they just have so much unknown about them. They do return three starters, but Aaron Thompson's a facilitator. He's not a scorer. Bryce Enzi and Bryce Golden are front court players. They're not guys that are going to come up with the big shot. They bring in three freshmen who, who are going to be impactful. Scooby Johnson tore his ACL, so he'll be out this year for the Bulldogs. The three other players are Chuck Harris, Miles Tate, two guards, and then word out of Butler is Jacoby Cole, six foot seven forward. He is stretching the floor with his range. They like the fact that he can hit the three. They did not recruit him to hit the three. He's come in with a jump shot. They're encouraged by that on top of his rebounding ability. So the Bulldogs are going to be very young. This is going to be Laval Jordan's toughest coaching job yet. All right. Last group. If you're a DePaul or Georgetown fan, what are you looking forward to this season? If I'm a Georgetown fan, I'm looking forward to a kid named Jamari Sibley, a four-star freshman coming in and, and providing some versatility. I'm looking forward to Kudis Wahab, a sophomore center who Patrick Ewing believes could be a real beast for them. Uh, he had six blocks in a game last year late in the season, and, and it kind of came out of nowhere, and Ewing went up to him after, and he was like, where did that come from? I need to see that from you every game. So I like the idea of a, of a center, and we've seen Georgetown now recently uh, in their recruiting efforts. They're, they're doing well and with post players. I, I get excited thinking about the fact that Ewing can coach. We've seen it. Now it's about defining roles and getting guys to, to stay there three or four years. That's the next step. This is going to be a total retooling year for Georgetown. I think next year is a year where you go in with some more expectations. But I get excited about some of the young players. And then Javon Blair can show – he showed last year that he can take over the scoring role for them. I'm interested to see what Javon Blair does in his senior season. For DePaul, they have a player who could be an NBA player down the road. That's Romeo Weems. He's a very, very versatile player. I'm excited to watch him. And then I'm excited about the possibilities in the backcourt. They brought in uh, a Monmouth transfer, Ray Sanov, who's going to play potentially a lead guard role and allow Charlie Moore to not be on the ball as much and, and to allow Moore to score a little bit more. How about this for DePaul? This is an interesting stat. They're the only team in the Big East that returns their leading scorer from last year. The only team, and it is Charlie Moore. They need to have Moore just score. They, he was not uh, strong at passing the basketball last year. He ran into way too many turnovers. So for the Blue Demons, you know what else I'm excited about? And I know that you, you know this, covering the sport for a long time. Brand new athletic director and Dwayne Yeah, Pe Dwayne Peavy. Yep. Huge, huge piece of news for the Blue Demons. I believe their future is bright. I do believe that they're going to turn the corner here. Over the future years, I don't, I don't think it's this year, but I really like the hire of Dwayne Peavy. He just gets basketball. He knows basketball. He's one of the very best in the sport. Yeah, there's no question. I think he'll breathe some new life yes. uh, into that program coming over from Kentucky. All right, so just to conclude, I have five teams in out of the Big East in those two first two tiers. Ultimately, I had a sixth in St. John's in that first four, but I would say I think five comfortably with a chance for a sixth coming from that third group. You know, I agree with you. And I think that there will be six teams with the five, like you said, Villanova, Creighton, Seton Hall, Providence, UConn. My sixth would be Xavier. 
And I think I'm saying that because they've been to 12 of the last 14 NCAA tournaments. And I just have a gut feeling that with how critical this year is for Travis Steele and with the fact that Najee Marshall was a really good player for the Musketeers, but I I sensed that as he goes to the NBA, there was a bit of a dynamic like any team has with who is the alpha dog on this team. Paul Scruggs is ready to be that for Xavier. He's ready to be that player and get them to turn that corner and get back to the big dance. Xavier was on the bubble at the end of last year. They might not have made it. That is such a rarity for the Musketeers and their fans. So I like Scruggs. I think that there's something to be said about the sophomore class with Kiki Tandy and Zach Fremantle. If you look at their last 10 games, both of them last year, the game slowed down for each of them. And then Xavier brings in a top 30 freshman class. All right, you've sold, all right, you've sold Xavier. Yes. You've sold Xavier. I'm selling them. I'm selling you on Xavier. <laughs> all right, John, I appreciate it. I uh, look forward to seeing you, and hopefully we can call some games together as we did last season uh, as this unprecedented year continues. Stay safe. Thanks, Andy. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. All right, time for Katz Ranks here at March Madness. March Madness 365. Uh, Look, it's too hard to just limit this list to 10. That's what we normally do with Cats Ranks, but I'm going to extend it for the Bob Cousy Award. These are the players that are going to be in competition for the top award to be the best playmaker this upcoming season. So I went with 15. I could have extended this list. I will start from the bottom and work my way up. Javante Smart from LSU going to be the lead guard for the Tigers, a team that's going to be right there to finish somewhere in that top five in the SEC. Jalen Crutcher from Dayton. No be topping. Crutcher's going to be the go-to player, more than likely, for the Flyers at that position. Fats Russell from URI, Rhode Island Rams. I've loved this young player since the first time I saw him as a freshman. Incredibly quick. Gets the end-to-end extremely efficiently. Fats Russell, URI. McKinley Wright IV from Colorado has been a steal for the Buffaloes. Still needs to get his turnover numbers down, but he'll be one of the best players in the Pac-12. Kihei Clark from Virginia. Well, Clark emerged on the scene as a freshman, as the unheralded player on a team that won the national championship. And now he's the experienced player for a team that could compete again. Jacob Gilliard from Richmond has phenomenal numbers for the Spiders, a senior-laden team, which could be a team that makes a deep run to the Final Four. Kobe Ross from Pepperdine. He may end up being the best scorer on this list, but he also distributes the ball exceptionally well. And if Pepperdine is going to get to the NCAA tournament and compete with Gonzaga in the WCC, it'll be because of Kobe Ross. Geo Baker from Rutgers, big shot maker, distributor, does a little bit of everything for Steve Peichel, and the Scarlet Knights, a team that I think is going to be somewhere in the top five in the Big Ten. Colin Gillespie from Villanova, really good defender, heady player, makes big shots, great leader for the Wildcats. Marcus Garrett from Kansas. He will be the lead playmaker for the Jayhawks. He was last season's Naismith National Player of the Year from the defensive side of the ball. So he was the National Defensive Player of the Year last season. Marcus Garrett. Remy Martin from Arizona State, leader of the Sun Devils, lead guard, enters the Pac-12 probably as the Pac-12 preseason player of the year. Marcus Zegarowski 
back from a knee injury for the Blue Jays. Zagorowski will compete with Colin Gillespie for Big East Player of the Year. Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State, the one freshman I have on this list, the most heralded freshman in the country. So Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State. Now Cunningham will compete with Marcus Garrett from Kansas. As I said, the Naismith Defensive Player of the Year. And the next player on my list, Jared Butler from Baylor as the top player in the Big 12. So Butler, lead guard for the Bears. He will be a candidate for the Koozie Award. And my top choice is Ayo DeSumo from Illinois. He'll be a first-team All-American, big shot maker, incredibly clutch for the Illini, has a chance to be a Big Ten Player of the Year to compete with Luka Garza, and could end up being the best playmaker in the country. And that's why he tops my koozie list. So there you go. That's my Cats ranks this week. And coming out next year on March Madness 365, Colin Gillespie, senior guard from Villanova. And now joining me here, March Madness, March Madness 365, Colin Gillespie from Villanova. And Colin was one of my top 10 player of the year candidates. Uh, obviously right in contention for Big East player of the year. Villanova uh, is my number three team in the country, a top seed. So plenty of praise for the Wildcats. Uh, Colin, uh, this is a season like none of us have ever seen before. What has preparation been like to this point? Uh, it's honestly been pretty tough coming back a little later than expected, working out in pods, really not full team for a little while. Um, it's been slow, but we're gradually getting there and just taking it a day at a time, trying to be as safe as we possibly can. So we talked earlier in the pandemic when you were at home. You know, Villanova, I remember Jay telling me this, that you guys took a long time before you guys came back to campus. That you really an extended sort of time off in the spring and really into the summer. Um, what was that period like as you guys were, you know, separated for so long before you ultimately came back to campus? Yeah, it was difficult um, not being around the guys, not being around our coaches. Um, it was tough because we're not really used to that. Normally on a regular schedule, regular year, we're in there um, at the end of May for summer classes. And then we stay throughout the summer for practice and class. So it was a lot different this year. It was the first time for myself and the other seniors that we've been home in the summer, um, just making sure that we had to stay in contact with each other, talk every day, continue to work out uh, wherever we could, whether it was outside or whether we could get into a gym, just trying to stay in shape as best we could. But it was difficult not being around those guys for a couple of months, but we're happy now to be back and just getting going. So for you as an older player, you know, you can be self-motivated. How hard was that to ensure, you know, as the leader of this team, that everyone was motivated to do it on your own? for really most of the off season. It wasn't that hard for us because we have an experienced group now. Um, we have three senior, four seniors, including Kevin Hone, who's a walk-on. And then we have a junior class that's been in big games and um, are stepping into bigger roles. And then that freshman class that's coming back with Jeremiah, Justin, and then you have the three guys that were sitting out and redshirting uh, Brian, Caleb, Eric Dixon, Chris Arch. Those guys are all eager to play. So it wasn't that hard to just uh, talk to everybody, make sure everybody's working out because those guys have missed a lot of time. 
Um, and even just being away from the game that long, being away from each other, I think guys were just eager to get back. Whenever we talked, guys were constantly in the gym working out. You're always going to be in the gym if you love the game. So it wasn't really an issue worrying about that with our younger guys. Um, we have an experienced group coming back. We've all played in tough games now. Um, the guys who sat out practiced with us competed all year last year so guys are eager to play this year and get back out on the court with each other so we've never had the nba as a lead-in and that's what's happened here for college basketball i'm just curious how much of watching and i know it's different it's in the bubble it's not going to be what you and everyone else is going to experience in terms of a complete controlled environment but what's it been like to see basketball being played at a high level uh knowing that you know your turn is next I think it's good for a lot of people just being able to get some normalcy back to um, our everyday lives. I mean, for us, it's we watch basketball a lot throughout the day, whether we're watching film, whether we're in a practice, in a workout, in a lift. Our minds are constantly on basketball. So it's brought some normalcy back to um, our everyday lives and just some routine. So I know you aren't about yourself, but for you, to achieve what I think you can and other people, you know, to be an All-American, to be a Player of the Year candidate, um, what do you have to do on the court? Just be become a complete player. Just make sure I'm playing Villanova basketball. Um, every time I'm out on the floor, work better uh, at becoming efficient, scoring, making decisions. Um, just try to become an all-around complete player, I think, for myself now at this point in my career. And that comes with everything that comes with being a leader, being able to make decisions in, in tough moments and, and living with it, being able to score off the dribble, create my own shot, making sure I'm playing defense, coming into practice every day, ready to work and lead our guys. So um, I think it's a combination of everything, just trying to become a complete Villanova basketball player. So, Colin, as you know, I've been there with you guys countless times at the Pavilion and Wells Fargo. Um, as of now, for the foreseeable future, we're not anticipating fans, you know, hopefully maybe, you know, in 21 at some point. But what's that going to be like to, to play in that environment when you guys have been so great about feeding off that energy? Yeah, for us here, we, we kind of just lock into each other. We talk about 94 by 50 feet playing for your teammates and coaches. No matter what's going on off the court, um, we're locked into what's going on on the court. You're in tune with your teammates and your coaches. So I think it'll be a lot like... Um, some closed scrimmages that we've played before, uh, practices, and just making sure that no matter when we're in between those lines, we're going out there, we're playing hard, we're competing, and we're playing Villanova basketball for 40 minutes. So a couple of quick things as, as I think, you know, one of the veteran players and I think the voices of the game this season, um, I think you're in that kind of a group. In, in terms of the way the game will be managed this season, there's a lot of discussion that coaches may have to wear masks, officials may have to wear masks. I mean, you're the player, the players won't, but how much do you want to see things like that for your own safety uh, in that environment? Yeah, whatever the NCAA comes up with, whatever mandate they come out with or guidelines, I think whatever they come up with, we trust. Just trying to make sure that we're in the, the safest place that we can be as players while we're playing. Um, I think that's important. And uh, we trust that whatever the NCAA comes up with, whatever decisions they make, I think they'll have the athletes best interest in their health and safety come first. So in the Big East, uh, I think it's going to be Villanova, Creighton at the top. We'll see how it all plays out. Marcus Zigorowski was hurt at the end of last season. He's back. 
you know, the two of you are probably going to be one, two and player of the year in some form or fashion. Uh, what have you enjoyed about competing against him? Yeah, he's a great player. I mean, he competes every night. He's really crafty with the ball. Uh, he gets shots up. He finds guys really well. So he's been great for his team um, the last two years from when I've played against him, from when I've watched him. So um, it's always going to be fun to compete against him. It's, it's fun to play in the Big East. Every night is a battle. Um, you know you're going to get everybody's best shot because it's just a very tough conference. So I've enjoyed being able to play against him and just compete with him at a high level. And one other thing in terms of how the season should be judged, I'm just curious to get your opinion on this. When you guys go on the road this year, let's assume there are no fans at a Butler, at a Xavier. Um, how do you think a road win should be judged if the environment isn't the same? That's tough. It's not really up to me, but... Um, no, I'm just curious what you, you know, if yeah. it should be weighted the same or maybe a little different. I mean, I think it's it's different. You're like you're going into another environment that you're not used to, you're not familiar with. And honestly, for us, we never even worry about if there's fans there, if there's not. Uh, we're going in, we're we're competing, and we're just worried about playing hard, playing Villanova basketball for 40 minutes, and we'll accept the outcome. And as long as we do those things, we're not really worried about if there's fans there, if there's not. And I think that's our mentality going into each and every game that we play. Even here at home, we love to have fans, but we're just worried about each other and we're locked into each other while we're on that court. You know, you see this March Madness behind me on the wall here. I mean, how much can you not wait after it was taken away last year, you know, to get to that point? Yeah, that was tough. That was really tough. Um, the way we finished, just doing whatever we could to get back into the conversation and then being able to have a share of the the conference title was, was special for our group because we were younger and then we were learning throughout the year. But um, I was excited for those guys to be able to get to experience that, but hopefully this year um, everything stays good and everybody remains healthy and safe and we could get there if that's possible. Colin, I appreciate it. I look forward to seeing you on the court this season in some form or fashion. Uh, one of our top 10 players in uh, the player of the year race for the 2021 season that will be like no other. Colin, appreciate it. Stay safe. Thanks for having me. All right, time for March Chadness. Chad Acock from Turner Sports is going to bring up the best of the rest, see where I stand on some of these other teams around the country. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Chad Acock from Turner Sports. We call it March Chadness, and we're getting closer and closer week by week to the start of the regular season on November 25th. Practice starting for the majority of schools this week. They can go five on five. Uh, hopefully, uh, teams will be able to do so without incident. We'll have to see how that all goes, but we still anticipate a start of a season on November 25th. Chad, last week we did our Final Four favorites, if you will. And uh, this week, you know, I want you to sort of challenge me on maybe uh, where I stand on some of the best of the rest. That's right. Uh, first practice is here this week, and we are doing our conference previews, but we don't want to leave everybody else out uh, from a non-power conferences. So we're going to do our deep run potential from those from those conferences. Obviously, Andy, you sent me your list. Uh, we've got the teams here. Without even looking, I knew Gonzaga would make the list. Gonzaga, year in, year out, one of the best uh, in the country. But Andy, you don't just have them as one of the you know best of the rest. Andy, you've got them as the number one team in the country. Tell us why. Well, they did lose a fair amount, but so did everyone else. And Phil Petrusev is probably the biggest name they lost. He decided to play professionally in Serbia. But I look at what they've got to replace him, and I think they're going to be as deep up front as any team in the country. 
Drew Timmy, who came on strong toward the end of last season, certainly can replace him. He's essentially like another Corey Kispert, does a little bit of everything for them. Anton Watson, who they're really high on, was hurt last season at times, so you get a healthy uh, Watson back. Joel Ayayi declared for the draft, came back. He'll be even better in the backcourt. You pair him with Jalen Suggs, one of the best freshmen in the country. You know, he replaces the fifth-year transfers of Gilder and Wooldridge. And so I think talent-wise, they've upgraded in the backcourt. And then Corey Kispert, he may not be flashy. He declared for the draft in return, but he is going to be a stat stuffer. He's going to do a little bit of everything for the Zags and be a great leader. So, you know, I could have gone with a number of different teams at number one, but I'm still leaning Zags uh, until someone knocks him off that perch. Yeah, there are several other teams you could have picked. Baylor, Illinois, Nova, even UVA. A lot of these other teams, they kind of have a go-to star, right? And Gonzaga doesn't really have that. And then, you know, you mentioned they lost four of their top six guys in terms of minutes played. So on paper, Andy, what makes you so confident that, you know, in the preseason, they are the best team compared to these other teams? This is an unprecedented season. And so we're going to see teams that can handle adversity that have to be experienced. Uh, know the system. You know, I, I just love the the mentality of this Gonzaga team. And also, I think it helps a lot. They've been able to work out. Not every team has been able to. And they haven't had problems. And this is a group that, you know, especially their foreign guys didn't go back home. And so they've been together. And I think that helps them out tremendously. Yeah, that's a good point about the foreign guys being able to stay on campus and uh, stay around the program. So now let's get to the best of the rest, not named Gonzaga, that we think could have uh, some deep run potential. Let's start with Richmond. We touched on the Spiders last week briefly. We talked about how, you know, they'll have five seniors in their starting lineup. Jacob Gilliard will be fighting for the all-time steals record. But what really is, you know, being realistic, what is Richmond's true ceiling? Well, they could get to the Final Four. I know that sounds crazy to say Richmond to the Final Four, but a year ago or not even six months ago, whatever, we wouldn't have stopped short to say Dayton in the Final Four. Now, they had a potential number one pick or player of the year and Obi Toppin. Richmond doesn't have that, but they've got great experience. They can put five senior starters on the floor if they want. Uh, Chris Mooney's been in this program for quite some time as the head coach. They know what they're going to do. And, and just like I said about the Zags, this team is together. No defections. They're driven. The big thing for them will be, you know, how tested do they get before or even during the A-10. So we may not have a true gauge on the Spiders really until we get to March, but if they can stay healthy, stay together, they could make a deep run. Yeah, I think the key for Richmond is going to be what kind of seed they get, what kind of draw they get. I mean, similar to Loyola Chicago, they could make that run to the Final Four, but Loyola Chicago ended up with, what, an 11 seed because they lost games they shouldn't have lost. Sure, they won in Gainesville, but they ended up with an 11 seed, had to get a few key upsets, whereas Richmond, if they can get a top four seed, top six seed, it'd be a little bit easier path. But I'm glad you mentioned, yeah, they don't have Obi Toppin, but neither does Dayton. And for that reason, Richmond's biggest competition, the A-10, is not Dayton. Uh, it's actually St. Louis, who you're pretty high on, Andy. Tell us why. Well, once again, they return key players. Uh, Travis Ford probably is his deepest team since he's been there. You know, I, I just get the sense that if this team can win games they're supposed to win and be right there with Richmond, possibly Dayton and URI, maybe those other teams are going to be pushing you know, in that top four, then the St. Louis team, I don't think they're a team that could go really far, but, you know, could they get to the second weekend? Sure. They've got the potential, the experience, the size, the strength, and the confidence to do so. 
Yeah, they do. They've got Jordan Goodwin back. They've got Hassan French back. Both guys averaged a double-double a season ago. And uh, Travis Ford's got a pretty good roster. It might be his best one since uh, one of his Oklahoma State teams with Marcus Smart, LeBron Nash, Markel Brown, Phil Forte, what, five, six years ago? But let's shift over to Houston now. They've got Caleb Mills. They've got uh, former Kansas guard Quentin Grimes. They've got Dejon Drew. You know, it's a team Kelvin Sampson's probably pretty high on after they finished tied for the American uh, last year. How deep do you think they can go? Well, they defend as well as any team in the country, not named Virginia. I mean, so they, they've got a toughness to them, and they've got a chance to really dominate the American. It's not going to be as deep as it's been in the past. So they could be another second weekend team. And, and really, we should say this overall. Any team that can get to the second weekend obviously can get further because anything can happen at that point. But do they have the makeup because they can defend, they can score? You know, I, I want to see what happens to develop them inside. You know, do they have that rim protector? Are they a team that can, if things break down on the perimeter, that they can pound it inside? We'll wait and see how that all develops, but I think there's a lot of high hopes on this Houston team. Okay, now let's jump back over to the West Coast. BYU, no TJ Hawes, no Yoli Childs. Uh, What are we looking at with the Cougars this year? Well, this will be interesting to see if Matt Harms uh, becomes a go-to player inside. You know, he's playing for now Mark Pope, uh, a big man in his own right at Kentucky. And look, Matt, you know, had success for Purdue. He was never the guy, you know, and if he becomes that for BYU, you know, and also he can score face up and they're going to want to rip and run. This is a team that um, I still think offensively will be very entertaining. They won't be as good as last season, but if things click for them with their transfers, with their newcomers and their returnees, you know, there's going to be a separation between them and Gonzaga, but they have a chance to be a team that, could still create some some problems for teams as the season goes along and, and win a game or two. Yeah, I'm not going to lie, Andy. This was the one I was most surprised that you had as deep potential. Uh, I just don't see it. You lost TJ Hawes. You lost Yoli Childs. Like, those were go-to guys. And honestly, I like Harms' hair more than I like his <laughs> offensive game. He's a good screen and roller, sure. We did the whole Harms hair hashtag a couple years ago in the tournament. But I just, I, I just don't see it. Like when we're comparing them to Richmond and St. Louis and Gonzaga, I just see so much more potential there than BYU. So to my defense, and this is where I hope on social people get this, there is a separation. Now we may list them or I may list them, you know, in some order, but there's a gap. And yes, you know, Gonzaga clearly won. And then there's that cluster of teams with Richmond and St. Louis and Houston I think could all be teams that could go for really far. But then I think there's another gap of teams that could make some noise, but it could be difficult for them to go as far. But like you said earlier, you never know with that Loyola. No one had Loyola getting all the way to the final four and the, and the bracket opened up for them. You know, they end up playing K state in the elite eight, not Kentucky. And so things like that can happen, you know, for a team as you advance in the tournament. Yeah, personally, I think you're relying more on the coach's ability than the, the player's off, offensive ability, their talent on the floor. Mark Pope's a great basketball mind. Uh, he actually started his uh, coaching career with my guy, Coach Fox, over at Georgia. So, a uh, fun fact. But he's always been a, a brilliant basketball mind, and I think he'll be, uh, he'll be good for them. One last team in your deep run potential that I think is probably better than BYU, but it's, uh, it's you and I. You know, they've got three starters back, but they got the most important one, the M- Missouri Valley Conference Player of the Year, A.J. Green. Not to be uh, confused with a notable wide receiver from, from my alma mater, A.J. Green, Bengals, go dogs. Uh, they seem like the favorites again for the MVC. You agree? I do, and they've been burned the last couple of years with Bradley's late run 
to get the bid. So I think Northern Iowa will be very attuned to not let that happen because we need to see them on this stage. They are talented enough to make a run. Um, they will get pushed by Loyola Chicago and Bradley, uh, maybe Illinois State within the Valley. But A.J. Green uh, could be that next star from a, a league like the Valley that, that we get to know in the tournament uh, because he has one of these great runs. And so it'd really be a shame if he doesn't get that stage. And I think they'll have that opportunity. And then, you know, people will remember that name, Northern Iowa, a school that certainly could uh, do some damage once they get in the tournament. All right. Now let's look at some teams that, you know, they might have big potential, but they're not as deep run potential. They're just kind of some other notable teams we want to spotlight. Let's start with Cincinnati. What do you like about the Bearcats? So this is John Brennan's second season. They're not obviously as good defensively as they were under Mick Cronin. But it's just very hard to look at Cincinnati as a team that's not going to be in contention in the American because the pieces are still in place for them. They, you know, they benefited out of the withdrawal from the NBA draft. You know, I think they will be like one of these other teams. I think you're going to mention Memphis out of the American. I think they're going to be that second tier behind Houston. because I think Houston is the clear favorite. But Memphis, another great recruiting class for Penny. Yes, they lost a lot, especially Precious Achua. But, you know, I think these are teams that are going to get better as the season goes along that will make the tournament and uh, be teams that will be right there to, you know, potentially win a game or two. Yeah, Cincinnati's another team I'm not as on board with. It felt like Jaron Cumberland was in school for 10 years, and now they don't have him, so they have to figure out how to play without him. I just don't think they'll make that much noise. Like, they could be an okay team, sure, but I don't think that's anything to write home about. Uh, great fan base, though. Like, I, second straight year, you probably left them out, you know, just out of your power 36. These guys love roasting you on Twitter. So, Andy, are you giving <laughs> them a shout-out just to try to make them happy, or do you actually think they're a good team? Well, no, it's funny, and I, I love that. I love the engagement. No, I do think they will get better as the season progresses and, and be a team that's going to be right there in the cusp. If you remember from last week or the week before when we did our first bracket, I had them in that first four. So I had them as a team that was going to basically you know, just creep right in, which I think they'll be in that group of teams where there's going to be really 8 to 12 teams that could factor into those last four spots. All right, let's jump over to Memphis because you touched on them a little bit. Sure, they lost, you know, a couple of big names, but they do bring back Boogie Ellis, DJ Jeffries, uh, Lester Canonis, uh, Damian Ball, all back, you know, as sophomores from that loaded freshman class. And then they add Landers Nolly, who I think is one of the best players nobody's talking about. Like in his first career game, he hung 30 on a pretty decent defensive team at Clemson. The game that the Hokies only had uh, 39 points at UVA, he had 18 of the 39. Uh, he had a cold stretch, but I think he finds a stroke for Memphis, which will be a huge offensive boost. What else do you like about Memphis? I just think overall, you know, Penny's getting more settled in. I think there's going to be a drive with this group. Obviously, no one had the tournament last season, so we don't know what would have happened, but I think they're going to be even more just driven to get there and be a factor. There's been this build. There was a lot of hype last season. As you know, we talked about them a year ago at this time. Penny thought they could win the American. Uh, obviously, James Weissman ended up not being eligible. So there was a lot of things that ended up hurting them. But I do think there's going to be a refocus, a reset. You know, they've just not been as boastful. So they've taken it down a notch, which I think is probably good so that it's not all hype. And they'll build it and earn it, and I think they will. So now we touched a little bit on Dayton. We talked about how they don't have Obi Toppin. You know, it would have been it would have been great to see him in the NCAA tournament, but it didn't happen last year. They lose a lot, but Jalen Crutcher's still around. What expectations do you think we should have for the Flyers? I think they'll be a bubble team. I think they have a chance to get in. 
And Anthony Grant has imprinted, you know, his style on this program, which is defense first. Coach of the year last year. Yes. And, you know, some of the other teams that missed that opportunity, maybe teams that have more back like a Rutgers, you know, of getting back in the tournament and actually doing something. I think there's just going to be a real drive of those players that came back and the coaching staffs to reclaim what they lost last March of just getting that feeling. And I, I do feel like Dayton will be one of those teams that may not be as talented, but will find a way to get in and earn a spot through its defense. Sure. How about Belmont? Before Rick Bird retired, you could pretty much pencil them in uh, to win the regular season title and make it to the conference title game. Casey Alexander, though, took over last year uh, from a good Lipscomb team, and not much changed. They were still a very good team last year. So what are you expecting out of the Bruins? The same. Consistency. Nothing against Murray, which has been obviously very solid with various coaches that have come through there and been very successful. And John Moran obviously had a great run with them in a couple of years. But I think Belmont has been clearly the most consistent team in the OVC and really wherever they've been. Their ability to make shots, to board, you know, to not get rattled. And obviously we're going to see different home road situations this season. But they, they've just been a model of consistency. I expect them to be back, to be the champs of the OVC, and to be a team that people are not going to want to face in the first round. Yeah, I like that take too. Now, one last team I want to throw at you was Pepperdine. You know, they're, they've been about a 500 team the last couple of years with Lorenzo Romar, but they do have Colby Ross, who is just an absolute stud. He's a 20 points a game guy. He'll even throw in seven assists, five rebounds. He kind of does it all. Do you think he can do enough his senior year to make Pepperdine a pretty fun team to watch this year? I do. I like this Pepperdine team. They really should be a top four team in the WCC. Last year, we hyped them up, rightly so but they lost games they shouldn't have. And then they also missed their opportunities in the, the wooden tournament early in the season. They had many chances to get quality wins. They whiffed on those. You know, this season, can they beat Gonzaga? Probably not. Should they be able to beat BYU, San Francisco, St. Mary's? Uh, they should. I mean, they legitimately, as much as I was hyping BYU a moment ago, they, have a, they, they could be a, a second-place team in the WCC. And a lot of that is Kobe Ross. When you have a player like that that could go for 40, who could get, you know, triple doubles, who can easily dish out 10 assists. That's the difference. And he's that good. I just mentioned John Morant. I'm not saying he's going to be John Morant, but he could dominate the ball like John Morant in a tournament game, whether it's WCC or any, by the way, in the WCC tournament, I think it was a triple overtime or multiple overtime game against St. Mary's. He was phenomenal last March. So he's got an opportunity to be on that stage, I think, and, We'll take advantage of that in 2021. Yeah, high usage year coming from Colby Ross. But I, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I hope you're right. I would love to see them finish top two, top three in the WCC. But that kind of wraps up this uh, this Big East, you know, best of the rest pod. And now that practice is here, we'll keep bringing updates and keep moving along. Well, appreciate it, Chad. As always, you are here on the podcast to bring me a reality check, really, on some of these teams. I like the pushback. And as we actually have some data to look at once these teams start playing, then obviously things will start to figure themselves out. But right now we're projecting some of it is based on what we think will happen in terms of who should be as good as they have projected to be. The coaches, obviously their history, but this is going to be an unprecedented season. We still don't know how it's all going to play out and how players will have to handle if they have to sit for any amount of time. So appreciate it, Chad. Chad will be back next week as we will address even more of these kind of topics going forward. 
And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. We're going to continue our breakdowns of conferences with guests and social media aspects to the way we rank these teams, power rankings, if you will, within the Big East in this particular week and uh, do this going forward. So we'll continue this in our lead up to the tip off of the season on November 25th. I'm sure we will have more news over the course of the week um, as they announce uh, future sites for the NCAA tournament, eligibility for come potentially out of the Division One council meeting. A lot of news is still happening here in the month of October. And of course, schedules will be breaking those down as they become more official. As always, a big shout out to our Turner Sports team, Chad Acock, Abby Stoltz, Michael Kaplan, Sean Bartley, and the entire NCAA.com team that does a great job of repurposing this podcast. As always, appreciate everyone's engagement on all our social media platforms. We'll talk again next week. Stay safe, everyone.